It's time to strap in for another edition of the Cars Guide podcast, the show that takes you beyond the test drive, this time, for the first time, live on YouTube. This is episode number 234, the best cars we've ever driven. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James Cleary, and joining me today to look at the most magnificent and memorable machines we've had the opportunity to experience, our adventure editor, Marcus Kraft. Hello, everyone, especially you, Byron. And key contributor, funnily enough, Byron Matthew Darkus. Hello, everyone. Even you, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> we'll also take a look at the fresh metal we've been driving this week and unearth the comment of the week. YouTubers, jump into the comments and get involved as we go. So now let's get into this week's show. It's the best cars we've ever driven. Crafty, it's great to have you with us this week. You can share your down and dirty off-road focused favourites. And Byron, this will be tricky for you because basically you've never met a vehicle you haven't loved. So being able to, you know, pick a favourite child uh, could be a challenge. But the bloke's got so many in the shed. I'll the idea that. and cars. The idea is to walk through the best of the best from the thousands, literally thousands of cars we've experienced. Uh, what does best mean? It could be most capable, most fun, best value for money, something else altogether. That's up to each of us to decide. Uh, but we'll work our way around the three of us, nominating and filling in the detail on the cars, utes, SUVs, and who knows what else uh, that have risen to the top for each of us. And YouTubers, jump in whenever you feel like it. So let's get started. Crafty, please kick us off your first. Mate, uh, a little bit of a hint is over my... I'll, I'll... I'll look at the high tech. Look, I'm, I'm rolling sideways. Look at perfect, that. Perfect, perfect. Uh, so <laughs> smooth as. <laughs> yes, I hope. I just hope you're wearing pants. Yes, the silk silks are wrong, mate. Um, uh, so Suzuki Jimmy. So wrong. First, first, so wrong. It's right. Uh, first cab off the rank is the is of course the Suzuki Jimny. Now in its original iteration, such an effective, lovable little beast, uh, and in its reincarnation. Uh, more of the same. Um, it's highly impractical. I mean, especially if there's more than two of you and your Shih Tzu and maybe a clarinet to pack in because there's not a lot of room in them. And but a cello, yeah. Also, also part of the charm and why it's so effective, uh, powered by a tiny little engine, a, a, you know, a light four-wheel drive, uh, very effective off-road, kind of comfortable on road i know some of you more sort of posho people will complain about dynamics and all that sort of thing comfort yes. you know those sort of fripperies that uh, some of us don't uh, you know don't bother with but uh yeah such a such a great little vehicle uh much loved it really is a niche within a niche within a niche like i know it's kind of targeting you know a, a few of us that use four-wheel drives uh as purely as they're intended but uh yeah, what a great vehicle. Um, and and uh, just, just in closing really quickly, I obviously misunderstood the brief that it could be anything that we've ever owned or driven in our lives. Yeah. I thought we'd have to do brand new as tested uh, vehicles uh, of which this is this is happily one. So. Well, that's good. That just keeps the mix uh, uh, nice and fresh. So that's that's fine crafty, but thank you for clarifying. That's a good that's a good kickoff. I think um, the, the Suzuki, uh, we were talking earlier about how I think it's designed very, very clearly with its intended market in mind. The people that have made that car know exactly who they're talking to and who they're dealing with. Um, and they've hit it right on the button um, with, with that one. And I, I suppose like all over the world, Suzuki's just scrambling for, for more of them. They, they'd love to have more of these cars. It's in such 
red hot demand. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's a great start. Thank you very much, Crafty. We're going to move on to you, Byron. What is what is the first car that you'd like to share? Well, before I reveal that one, I just want to say that unlike Crafty, I have decided to not have anything current because I think greatness comes with time and experience and I guess, you know, uh, like you, Byron. Yeah. That's how I live my life these days. So so with that in mind, um, I, I won't be talking about the 911 Carrera, Porsche 911 uh, Carrera 4S or the uh, Hyundai Whatever. Ionic 5 right. or, Big um, yourself. Yep. or the Mercedes S-Class. <laughs> all three of those cars can rate as uh, greatest cars in their class of all time, as far as I'm concerned. So without further ado, the 1990 Honda NSX, Japan's first true supercar, uh, a car that uh, changed the entire recipe of supercars moving forward by providing uh, reliability and comfort and usability and practicality um, without diluting the thrill or the involvement or the interaction of having a supercar. A car of uh, of a, a car that stands as a monument to Honda's fierce engineering prowess at a time when it was leading Formula One. It and Senna famously had a hand in the um, in the tuning of that vehicle. It looks fantastic. When you drive or travel in an NSX, you sit underneath that canopy-style roof with its low dash cowl and its exquisite all-round vision. Uh, you you feel connected and you it feels special and. It feels futuristic and otherworldly, all those things. I know I'm crapping on about it, but Jesus, it's such a great experience. I, I, I think that uh, they couldn't replicate it with the second generation car. I think um, Audi had a bit of a go with the R8 uh, in the 2000s, but the NSX to me is quintessential Honda, quintessential Japan, and just still one of the great drives of all time for me. Fabulous. Fabulous. Great. Okay. That's second one down i'm going to uh get up with my first one here and uh crafty you'll love this it's a ferrari it's the ferrari 458 italia now this is we're talking 2011 so more than 10 years ago uh was the last of the ferrari atmo v8s uh, mid-mounted 4.5 liter v8 in fact 419 kilowatts that's 562 horsepower um and that power arrives at 9,000 rpm and there's a bit to go at that point so uh, stratospherically high revs, 540 newton meters, seven-speed dual clutch. It, it's less than one and a half tons, naught to 100 in 3.3 seconds. And I've driven earlier and later uh, Ferraris than that one, uh, but the the context was a wheel story where the uh, the brand had a car that was about to go over its threshold in terms of number of k's on the clock, and said, "Look, you can have the car, but less than 500 k's. That's the deal." So Jesse Taylor, the then deputy editor, said, great, we'll do 458 in a 458. And we drove 458 kilometres out around the back of the Blue Mountains in New South Wales. And I had a chance to be one of the drivers and, and co-author that story. And it was the engine, the noise, the revs, the steering, the grip, the transmission. And I, it made me think that it's a pity that Ferraris are so much about posing and, and displaying your wealth when they're actually underneath it all great. You just want to peel away all that artifice away from Ferraris and get to the nub of it, which is they are fantastic sports cars. And, and that one has really stuck with me. Good. Now, that's our first round. Crafty, it's back to you. Mate, um, and uh, I'll have to apologise in advance. You may hear some 
noise intrusion from the outside world, uh, maybe cows in the back paddock, maybe kids screaming, playing and whatever else. So maybe it's your fan club. Maybe it's your fan club they've located yeah. you. In your it's top, if it's the top, top paddock, it's probably a Rulus. It's a Rulus <laughs> in the top paddock. That's, that's right, as always. Um, for my second one, I'm going to go, uh, and again, a niche within a niche, but a really good example of an old school traditional four wheel drive, quite possibly hanging on by its fingernails, but it's very popular, the 70 series. And I mean, uh, in, you know, in, uh, in all its variants, uh, the 79, the Ute, the 76, the wagon, uh, all, all of them, they're all straight up and down, big and blocky, um, noisy, but you know, it goes back to what we we're talking about off air as well. Uh, a real driver's car, for better or worse, because yeah, I, yeah. you know, I'm I'm like you too. I, I like being really dialed into the experience, really feeling it. You know, a real visceral punch in the guts when you're driving and you feel part of, you know, an integral part of the whole that, process. That that craft is just the company you pick, pick the, the punch in the guts it's nothing to do with the well, yeah, any vehicle gives you a punch or a kick in the ass is the 70 series oh, there you go that's uh, good. Not, the, not the most comfortable uh thing around uh, on road but very capable off-road and i've done plenty of uh long distance k's long distance trips in this thing as well as towing and uh yeah i i i, I can't rate it highly enough um you know and and toyota's done really well i mean they've read the room you know holding on to it there has been talk here and there of them uh of, of them sort of quitting quitting the 70 but i can't see it happening uh and, and yeah such such a nice vehicle to drive and a, you know quite quite a nice all-rounder i think as we were saying earlier if you had a game of automotive word association and you said 70 series the word that would come up would be tough um or, or some might go for indestructible it's just got that aura hasn't it absolutely yeah yeah yeah. all right that's good thank you very much crafty byron we're back to you for number two yes yes you are um okay so speaking of longevity uh and speaking of toughness and speaking of durability uh my uh second choice is the 1968 through to 2006 i want to say peugeot 504 righto a car that brilliant uh i, I like the nsx before uh with honda a car that um, epitomized uh, Peugeot's prowess as a maker of great engineered cars. Um, this particular car, I think, it 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 just brings together, a, it goes beyond some of its parts. It brings together um, comfort and uh, reliability and durability. I mean, it's got long travel suspension, um, independent rear suspension uh, in the Australian market's case, four-wheel disc brakes back in 68 when, you know, the HK Holden had drum brakes and leaf springs um, yeah. and yeah. great room great vision amazing uh, just amazing refinement for for what you got and it was practical and sturdy as well and the car has become um, renowned as uh, africa's taxi because they just keep going they are the cockroaches of cars um they they can they, <laughs> yeah. they, they were incredibly well suited for australian conditions given that the car was engineered in europe and france um, and they look yep. great. And I, I lived with one for, for a decade. I still have one now. And they, they just they, they just make me smile. And uh, you know, for me, a great car is a car that um, it's it has to exceed your expectations, and it's going to um, bring joy. And I think this is what the five hundred four for me absolutely nails. Yes. It's on there. Yeah. 
Yep. And I think the thing about Peugeot's in that era and long after uh, is that they produced their own shock absorbers, their own seats, and they're the two attributes of a Peugeot that, that really stand out. And that car, mm. uh, you're right, it wasn't meant to be a GT. It was meant to be a capable family sedan, but it turned mm. out it was a, a car capable of swallowing long distances very easily. Deceptively, deceptively um, modern and advanced, yep. quite conservative to look at. And if you yep. look at the it was three-wheel drive when its rivals, the 16TS and the Citroen DS were front-wheel drive, but by golly, those things have really Brilliant. improved. Brilliant. Worth. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll keep it going. Uh, my second one, just to, to keep it real, um, is a Porsche 911 uh, GT3. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's only a lazy 370-odd grand. It's a four-litre Atmos 6. We kind of all know that. But uh, it's a six-speed manual, which is brilliant, or a seven-speed dual-clutch, rear-wheel drive. It's about the same speed, 0 to 100, as that Ferrari that we were, were just talking about a little uh, minute ago, 3.4 seconds, 0 to 100. So it is rapid. Uh, we, it was a track test where I experienced this car, and uh, subsequently Steve Corby has driven it uh, for Cars Guide on the road. He's not quite so effusive in his praise of it when the uh, surface isn't exactly perfect. However, in the context of where I drove it, it was amazing. Uh, it has a double wishbone front end. It sticks as if there's more than rubber uh, keeping it to the road. The engine, the induction noise, and the exhaust note. The brakes are mega. The seats are incredible. Turn 18 at Sydney Motorsport Park is a long, sweeping left-hander, and I was just amazed at how hard I could press the right pedal and how it stuck and, and put its power down and rocketed out of that turn. Um, it was really fantastic. And the, the team racing drivers that were helping us stay safe on that day and on the racing line um, basically said this car, you know, a couple of years ago, its spec was a Carrera Cup racing car. So you, you've got that on the road. And I think it's exceptional. And I know that it's a modern car. And I take your point, uh, Byron, about things have to, you know, you have to dwell on it for a while. But I, I just, I think it's a, a really special car. That's good. So Agreed. with that, Crafty, we are back to you. We've gone round the houses. Maybe not as as dynamic in terms of you know drivability and that sort of thing. But what you know the the grand theme here is that we're 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 all talking about drivers' cars, and perhaps to a lesser degree than your Posho automobiles, JC uh, is the new Defender. And I mean yep. Byron spent a a, a bit of uh, steering time in the in the ninety, I know, um, and uh, and the one ten. I mean. I can't really see a place for the Dis for the Land Rover Discovery in their in their fleet anymore because the Defender is is so nice to drive on road and still very capable and they've done such a good job of retaining the spirit of the old Defender while you know modernising it and bringing it up to date. You know, frankly, it was a miracle that they, that they <laughs> yeah. managed to do it so well yeah. because they could have really stuffed it up. And I mean, that was that was the risk. But such a nice vehicle, very pricey, uh, admi admittedly. Um, but uh, you know, so very capable off road and and so nice to drive on road. And, and how and how nice. much is Jerry McGovern and his design team on point in terms of the cars that they've been producing over a long period of time now? That's such a brilliant design. I think it looks fantastic. Just me. I know others may not share that, but I think it looks brilliant. I oh, know absolutely. I, I yeah, I think they've really really done well in, in in balancing two sort of very different sets of expectations so yes, and yes. yeah a nice driving vehicle and and what? the discovery needs to go anyway because the number plates offset and they need to get that right so you know take it <laughs> off the market for a while and get it in the right place 
just one thing about the Defender, it's also got a really innovative and inspired interior, um, the way it's designed and presented as well. It, it has a freshness and a, and a, uh, a uniqueness to it that I, I think yeah. sets it apart from other uh, SUVs as well. And yeah, you're right. I, th- I think that it makes the Disco a bit redundant. And I like and it also it also potentially shows a template for Toyota that you can take something that's iconic and tough and all of those things. How do you replace it? Well, there's the Defender. Um, mm. In that they had an older body on frame. It, it, it was so much a part of the brand. They gave it a very dignified and respectful farewell and brought this car out and uh, it's filled its shoes admirably. So um, yeah. it can be done. It can I be want, done. and I'll have a six seater with steel wheels in a three door body. Two true Please? steel wheels. They're so yeah. good. They're good. <laughs> okay. Those steelies are unreal. <laughs> They're unreal. Uh, all right, now, Byron, we're back to you, please. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, my, uh, I have to look at my notes there because I forgot what my <laughs> next car was. And my next car is an all-time classic. It's a range of cars. Uh, like, it's, it's, a, it's a family of cars. And, of course, that family for me is the Mazda MX-5. Or Miata, if you're listening to this somewhere else in the world. Uh, specifically the original NA series from 1989. It changed the world, let's face it. It changed the world of sports cars. It was right, it, it absolutely uh, was a, uh, uh, right on uh, brand and also right on the time where, uh, at a time when um, the world was going to recession, uh, the excesses of the 80s was giving way to the, um, you know, the austerity and, you know, and the, and the, Fresh thinking of the 90s. It was a new car for a new generation based on an old two-seater uh, roadster uh, theme. Uh, it was developed by Lotus in the 50s with the original Lotus Elan. However, Mazda just made it its own with its beautiful pop-up headlights and its, um, yeah. its sinewy lines. It's amazing rear drive uh, platform. Um, uh, that twin cam 1.6-seater engine, it's five-speed manual gearbox. It's, it's just tailored around being a driver's car, being a personal car, but also being an everyday, usable, practical, reliable, economical classic. They, they, no one builds cars like MX-5 today. There was a period of time when everyone tried to in the 90s and the early 2000s. You might recall them as the, uh, the Toyota MR2 Spider, for instance. And sure. um, you know, Porsche wouldn't have survived if it didn't get inspired by the MX-5 uh, to create the Boxster that saved its bacon in the mid to late 90s. So... You can probably think uh, all those Porsches that you love driving, James. You can probably think uh, the diminutive NAMX5 for at least you know giving Porsche well, I, the. I think the, the only company that the only company that builds cars like the MX5 now is Mazda. <laughs> they yeah, still build exactly. the MX5, and it's exactly uh, the same principle. Indeed, and you know the fact that there's going to be a new and the NE series is meant to come out in the next eighteen to twenty-four months yep. um, shows that Mazda is committed to providing a unique and much-loved um, concept. But for me. Drive an original NA MX-5 if you can. Special. Um, I've got one. I've got a Mariner Blue one, and I never want to sell it. It's just it brings utter joy. To Fearless me. leader Mel has one as well. I think it's interesting you you mentioned the uh, the context of the times, the late eighties, nineties recession, early nineties recession. There was Mazda, very confident on a roll. They were going to have a Marty with a V12, you know, luxury car, which uh, went by the boards, but they were in a purple patch in terms of their designs and and the kind of uh, courage that they were showing. Uh, in market that was just a a product of all of that all right Mm -hmm. that's great thank you byron i'm going to uh finish off now my top three with the alpine a110 Uh, that may ring a bell with some of our listeners and viewers again a mid-engine sports car but a little 1.8 litre turbo four this time um a renault derived engine 
the most superb combination of refinement and dynamics imaginable. I'm, I'm an Alpha 4C fan. I think that car was overlooked by a lot of people and maybe because it was pretty uh, harsh in terms of its on-road performance, it, it, it wasn't exactly or isn't exactly the most refined uh, little mid-engine sports car, whereas this Alpine A110 absolutely is. It's this magical uh, combination of dynamic performance and comfort. It, it, it does them both, and that's the sign of a team that knows how to really create uh, a chassis and a suspension that will do the job in both terms. So I, I drove it in, I want to say, 2019. It didn't stay in the Australian market all that long. The detailing, the interior is superb, the, the kind of quilting, the little French flag motifs, um, all of these little graphic elements around the car. What a special uh, little sports car. I, 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 from the minute I drove it, I thought this is going to be a future classic. And what, what a beautiful per little proportion thing. Oh, it just it is stunning. It's like... Yeah. It, it's 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 its own thing of beauty. And it, it, it's modern enough to stand on its own, but it does tip its hat to the the original A110, mm. and you know people will get that as well. Just such a beautifully executed project. That car is is fabulous. Hundred percent. All right, we are going to do a quick quick fire round of another two each. We're going to go around, and these are our last two highly commended. So, Crafty, we're back to you. Where do you start? All right, mate, really quickly. And again, there's a hint over my shoulder. This this is from a comparison. It's probably two years old, but it's a humdinger of a comparison. And I just recommend anyone who hasn't seen it, even if you have, go and watch it on YouTube because it's a it's a great one. That's between the Jimny, the Wrangler Rubicon and the Ford yep. Ranger Raptor. Yep. Uh, so my next one is the Rubicon. Uh, and you can't go past it again, a niche within a niche within a niche, disconnecting sway bars, diff locks everywhere, built for, uh, for four-wheel driving, for low-range four-wheel driving. Um, just an awesome beach on-road. Again, with these things, they are purpose-built, so they tend to be a little bit ordinary uh, on-road. Not a lot of concessions to comfort, but just a great, very capable four-wheel Brilliant. drive. Brilliant. Awesome. Thank you. We'll kick on to you, Byron. Okay. So uh, further to the theme established with the uh, Peugeot 504, mine is the Mercedes-Benz. W124 E-Class from 1985 through to 1995 for a decade. This car represented the pinnacle of Mercedes uh, peak engineering um, from a family, like a family car perspective. Um, it was it, it, Bruno Secco, who was the lead designer of Mercedes at the time. I think it is his masterpiece. Uh, such beautiful proportions, crisp design, super aerodynamic, super modern, like super duper modern. Yep. Um, single wiper lovely um you know, just smooth lines just crisp crisp detailing and it's aged so well which is so well that, isn't it? and yeah. absolutely and there was a coupe and a, and a beautiful wagon the uh, the t124 series remains one of my favorites as a load carrier as well just spot on fantastic um, fantastic yeah. all right that's good thank you we we shall keep moving uh, my first uh quick fire ford mustang mark one um drove it i think even earlier this year and i said it was like a polar bear on shrinking ice but I love it because, you know, a five litre Atmo V8 with a manual transmission rear wheel drive, we're not going to see them much longer. Um, fantastic sound. Uh, the clutch is beautiful. The Tremec six speed is fantastic. The steering, adaptive dampers, the digital instruments, it even feels kind of with the times. My advice, buy one, uh, buy two, one to hermetically seal for future generations, one to drive and you won't lose any money on either of them. So there you go. Back to you, Crafty. 
Right. Uh, last uh, but not uh, least is the Ford Ranger Raptor. Uh, Byron has been uh, has, has been nearer to them more recently than I have, but I I, I rate them across the board. Um, just again, purpose built machines for four wheel driving. A lot of fun. Fox racing shocks. You can't go wrong. You can go fast. You can go slow. Um, probably pretty impractical again uh, in terms of tray space and that sort of thing, a load space, but a whole lot of fun. And, and the people who I know who, who own them uh, drive them as they're intended and you can't, yeah, you can't wipe the smiles of their face. Oh, wonderful. So. All right. That's yep. good. Fantastic. Sorry, Byron, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying kudos to um, Australian engineers that have made a world-class pickup truck that, um, and I'm talking about the old car, that remains at the yeah. top of its class. So yeah, no, fingers crossed yep. that the new one will be at least as good. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yes. Says someone who knows quite well, actually, just on the quiet. Okay. Uh, so, Byron, your yes. quick fire number two. Okay. Uh, my quick fire number two is I'll finish on uh, a high note, and that is the original Audi R8, a vehicle that uh, um, kind of uh, reminds me of the uh, BMW M1 that uh, – Lamborghini was going to build for BMW back in the late seventies, early eighties. Didn't quite get get that project right, even though the finished Gujarro design of the product is amazing. The R8, um, I think, takes over the mantle from the NSX in being a usable, practical supercar um, that looks great, still grows great, and it's telling that uh, uh, the R8 was uh, redesigned for 2014, 2015. Uh, and when Honda had tried with the second generation NSX mm. hybrid at the same time, they couldn't quite hit the, um, no. the heights that I think Audi did. It's, a, it's, a, it's just still one of the great cars. And I, I, if you get a chance, drive an Audi R8. Agree. Agree. V8. And All right. The V8. Thank you. I'll go my second rapid fire, which is the Holden VLSS Group A Walkinshaw. Um, we're talking circa 1988. It was a whole 45 grand back then, I might uh, add. Five litre V8 manual, obviously homologation special for touring car racing. A five speed manual, a whole 180 kilowatts. That's just on 240 horsepower. So we're not talking massive power by today's standards. But the engine and exhaust sound, the induction through those plenums, the Borg Warner 256 gearbox, the seats, the balance, it was on relatively skinny Bridgestone rubber. To start with, uh, the predictability was so well sorted. Big four-piston Harrop brakes on the front. And I remember at the launch at Calder Park uh, thinking I would happily drive this around the clock if they continue to refuel me and maybe put some more tyres on the car. It was just so much fun. On the road, it wasn't my cup of tea. Um, obviously, that aero package was designed to work at Bathurst and elsewhere. Um, but as a car, it was just huge fun. Loved it, loved it. All right, that's it. That's our picks. We've been around the houses several times and they're the best cars that we have ever driven. So thank you, gentlemen. We're now going to talk about cars that we have driven, but much more recently. And they're in our gar uh, garage almost uh, right now. Byron, yes. can I kick off with you, please, to give us uh, a brief rundown on what you've been driving in the recent past? Uh, certainly, James. And that is a Ford Escape ST-Line Fev plug-in hybrid. Um, it currently retails for $53,440. Uh, we're talking about an alternative to the Mitsubishi Outlander FEV, as well as its uh, kid brother, the Eclipse Cross FEV. Um, what can I say? I, this car deserves to a place in, in, in the Australian market because even though it is $15,000 more expensive than the 
two liter turbo petrol version, the ST line front wheel drive petrol version. Um, it does bring a worthwhile economy and efficiency benefits. Um, you, you can drive, it, it seamlessly goes from its, uh, its four cylinder Atmo engine to the electric motor um, as a combination. And you can get around 50 kilometers of pure EV drive um, mm. I, I was kind of managing about 35 before it started running out, but you know, around Brunswick here in, in Melbourne where I live, it's, you know, but it's fine. It's, it's easy. It's relatively affordable. It's well equipped. Um, but where this car stands out compared to most of its rivals is that it does. I mean, I like the Porsche Macan looks. It does look really good, especially in, in the Great. middle. It's got a sporty look, but it also has a chassis to back it up. Um, it steers well, it rides really well, even though it's gone from a multi-link to a torsion beam rear suspension, like all front-wheel drive escapes have a 20 to 22, which I think is a retrograde step. At least the all-wheel drive ones keep the multi-link. But look, it's it's an enthusiast plug-in hybrid, and you can't really say that for plug-in hybrids unless you're talking about you know Porsche Macans, I guess. So um, I rate it. If you're sick of waiting for a RAV4 hybrid and you know you want something a bit more engaging than one of those Mitsubishi's, I think Ford might have the medium SUV plug-in hybrid for you. Super. That's me. Good on you. Nice one. Thank you very much. Crafty, we're, um, we're still off-road with you, but it's one that can find a home on the highway pretty quickly. As always, mate. Um, I was in the uh, Nissan Patrol, the TI, the base spec in the in the two-variant lineup. Um Unreal, mate. I mean, you were, you were talking earlier about engine note uh, from a V8. This is a 5.6-litre petrol V8. Unreal, mate. As, as a backing track for your day's driving, you can't ask for anything more more welcome and, and meaty uh, than that. Um, 590 newton metres. Um, set up for, for four-wheel yeah. driving, low-range, low-speed yeah. four-wheel driving. It's a, it's a big beast, uh, but you get used to it uh, pretty quickly. Uh, it wears its weight. Uh, it's size pretty well. Um, just like you. Yeah, I was just about to say, thanks, Ooh. Byron. Nice one. <laughs> there goes your Christmas card, mate. <laughs> Up in flames. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, just, just a real nice drive and very capable off-road. Uh, about 82 grand, I think, maybe 83 with premium paint. Uh, fuel... It's sort of its 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 official figure is I think fourteen point four maybe. Wow. Uh, I, How I did you getting, manage? I was yes. getting I was getting twenty two <laughs> mate twenty two liters per one hundred yeah. kilometers, and that's yeah. and that's from pump to pump. That's that's real world uh, testing. Uh, please bear in mind that we were doing lots of low range four wheel driving now, and sometimes that requires a little bit of a heavy right foot. But yeah. I, I reckon it's great. You're saving about 20, 30 grand on the equivalent sort of land cruiser if you if you you know if you're a smart uh, buyer. Um, so that's that's balanced by uh, fuel consumption, which which is not that bad. We've we've towed with it a lot before. We've done a lot of four wheel driving with uh, with with, with uh, the patrol with this engine, and I, I rate it very highly, mate. Yep, that's good. I think it's, uh, we were saying earlier, I think it's a bit like the Mustang. It's on that same piece of polar ice that's shrinking, you know, where it's it's there with the polar bears and and it's not going to be around that much longer, if you know what I mean. But uh, it, it's it's such a fabulous indulgence while we can still have it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's good. Now I'm going to finish up the garage. It's lurking in the shadows up the back. It's an Audi A3 Sportback. 
it's the 35 TFSI, which is the entry to that uh, A3 lineup. Just under 47 grand before you put it on the road, 1.5 litre turbo petrol four, 110 kilowatts, 250 newton metres, seven speed auto, front wheel drive. And look in the plus column, I think it looks good. I reckon it looks really snazzy. It's comfortable, it's refined. The steering is good from a dynamic point of view. It's quiet and it's nicely put together. You can see that there's been a real attention to making sure that it's high quality in terms of the way it presents, particularly inside. Um, what I found was that it's not exactly outstanding in any department, it's very, very capable. And you can actually get a, a, a Golf uh, with a similar engine, um, similar output anyway, um, for about 10K less. So it, it, it's, it's a quality car, it's a city friendly hatch, it's kind of up to you as to whether you're willing to pay that premium for that Audi polish and, and badge cred. And I'm sure plenty of people will. Um, it's a very, very nice car, but it's, it just boils down to a emotional versus pragmatic financial kind of a decision in the end, as far as I can see. All right, that is our garage. And now we're just gonna cover comment of the week. We've had some feedback. Last week, we were talking about road rules that are made to be broken or that need to be broken, not made to be broken. Um, and we were talking, one of the, the popular ones was 130 kilometres an hour should be the Australian limit on, on uh, divided dual carriage freeways. That seemed to get a lot of support um, and, and also lower speed limits in, in built up areas, I might add. Um, so that was interesting. But Jim Danik had a, a, a really great thought. He said, having travelled to Mumbai recently, the traffic could best be described like water flowing, which finds the path of least resistance. They seem to have unwritten rules that allow the efficient movement of people around the city. This is in stark contrast to our enforcement of road rules, which is like the olden days of a teacher hovering over a student with a chalkboard ruler ready to wrap them over the knuckles for any minor transgression. The debate on road safety rules should be balanced with the need to efficiently move around. And I, I suppose that's just um, petitioning people for a little more common sense and a little more pragmatism rather than this very hard line uh, speed is everything and and that's the way to road safety nirvana and i think it's an interesting take uh, from another part of the world all right and uh thank you jim for that and with that we have reached the finish line already? Um, yeah so wow. so, <laughs> so thank thank you crafty thank you and thank you byron oh thank you james thank you marcus and thanks to oh, our thank listeners, you, thanks to our listeners and viewers, our um, our production multitasker today is Mr. Brett Sullivan. Thank you, Brett. As a tip of the hat to Mr. Pritchard, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, "Underestimate me." That'll be fun. <laughs> Jump into the conversation. Cars guides on Facebook and Instagram, or email us at comments at carsguide. Listeners uh, Beg your pardon. Listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Five is the preferred number of stars. Thank you. And viewers, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, last year, a mate of mine was pricing an airbag suspension for his custom F-150. Kind of went cold on the idea when he found out how much it was going to cost. But he picked it up again recently, only to find the quotes have gone even higher. Is that due to inflation? <laughs> <laughs> I thought he would have gone cold on it because it was a Takata airbag. Oh, maybe that's a whole bunch of them sewn together. Dangerous territory <laughs> there, quite literally. Yes. <laughs>